I'm ready when you are. You can feel the country's on the knife edge. It's only, what, 30 minutes late starting? Let's do this! <laughs> it's a joke, obviously. You are in retreat. We're not rioting yet. I don't like that question. You're just saying shit and you don't even know what you're talking about. That spider game sounds way cooler than manta rays, doesn't it? And I was like, well, here's my two cents. You, you, you need a lot of stuff. That's how we should describe the podcast. If they ever went out and recruited one more person, then we'd have double the number of people listening. Well then. Let's start the show. Hey, Brad. Hey. How's it going, man? Not so bad, sir. Yourself? Good, 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 good. I'm liking our new little intro that you put together there for us. Yeah, thank you. I've been uh, working hard uh, on that and not my other projects that I need to do. <laughs> so hopefully it's uh, it's well worth it and it will uh, increase the listenership maybe now that we have the snazzy new intro. Well, the only way is up. You, you know, you put that sort of sexual hook out there that is that introduction. <laughs> you know, how can the <laughs> listeners say no? That's not the description I was expecting to get. Well, you can maybe have that soundbite for the next time we update it. <laughs> it, it no, I figure I figure this thing's probably going to evolve, and maybe like uh, every three months or so, I can just sub out some clips here and there, depending on how stupid we actually sound or how many dumb clips uh, we make available to ourselves. Which I don't think we're having a problem with that. So. Hey, if we're just going to do dumb clips, then we might as well just paste in a whole episode, haven't we? And just put some music <laughs> around that. Yeah, actually, I like to because it actually made us sound like we actually are fairly professional, which we're not. But it also actually made it sound like you know what you're doing with the whole production piece, which I have to take my hat off to you. You seem to know, and I don't. I, you know, I, I'm the talent. I just rock up, I present, I go home, yeah. and you know, I have to give the kudos and the credit to you for all the production. Hey, so. well, you know, I enjoy doing it, and I've, uh, uh, I, I, I did enjoy uh, going through the old, the old clips and putting it together. Although after listening to most people say, you know, like you, you hate hearing your own voice on recording. Uh, and when you're doing something like that, you have to listen to it over and over and over and over again. I found that, you know what? I don't hate my voice on recording. Ooh. I hate your voice on recording. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> too easy, too easy of a setup. Eh? Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, uh, to be fair, I almost interjected when you started that story to jump to that punchline. But obviously, oh yeah, you flipped. searched my punchline. Uh, yeah, but you uh, you've done me there. You've done me like a kipper. <laughs> okay, and I don't know what that means. Well, just roll with it. It's fine. <laughs> I'll look it up later. Right on, man. Well, uh, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, listeners. Uh, if you're out there, thanks for being here. Um, and how you, how you been, Brad? In the last little while? Yeah, it's been good. I'm trying to think uh, what I've done. So. Uh, yeah, busy with work and good things like that. I've not really been traveling anywhere. I'm off on my travels next week. I'm off to Switzerland and then London for a week. So back on the, the open road again. But uh, yeah, what about yourself? What have you been doing? Um, I was in Berlin, saw a really fantastic Radiohead show. Mm. Um, 
really, really tremendous. I must say this band, I know I, I, I ended last show with a whole rant about the tragically hip, the Canadian band. And it, I'll start this one off with a bit of a rant about Radiohead, the great UK band, because what a show it's, um, it's unlike any other live show I've ever seen. Just uh, if, for those that know Radiohead and their music, it's pretty, it can be pretty eclectic, uh, sounding, and it's just it just blows me away how they can reproduce that sound in a live setting. And I mean, it was a big festival, so it was you know hundreds, you know people, thousands, all singing along to some of these great songs and stuff. And that just that just always gives me chills when you're part of that sort of environment and feeling everybody you know moving towards the same goal. It's pretty pretty fascinating. Well, and well, I guess that's in my list of. Uh, Shout out. So I think you got a little bit carried away while you were there because you got engaged while you were there, didn't you? <laughs> I did. Yes, I did. Uh, I asked my lovely girlfriend, Teresa, to, to be my wife, and she said yes. So. Wow. She, you know, obviously you got that mix of a hypnon beer just right. So, uh. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful Berlin air. I don't know. There's something <laughs> about it that, uh, that uh, it, the mood just was right. No, it was uh, it was really nice. It was a really nice weekend, and uh, I'm really glad she said yes. Well, I didn't have too many doubts, but we're very happy uh, and excited to do that. So, well, congratulations, and congratulations. I'm going to say congratulations from all the listeners as well, because I know, oh, thank you. I know there'll thank be you. floods of tweets and messages coming in. So, yeah, right, right, right. Well, at least two. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll add, I'll add, I'll add my weight to those as well. Uh, you know, a, a few more shout outs as well as we, you know, we, we seem to have made this a regular feature. Let's do it. Um, mainly to whore in new listeners and to retain the ones we've got. Uh, so, uh, happy birthday to Kelsey, uh, one of our parasitology listeners. Um, I reckon she spent her birthday, uh, counting fecal egg counts. So, Lovely. For those not in the parasitology game, fecal egg counts means sifting through poop for <laughs> parasite eggs. The lovely way to spend a birthday. It is. It's it, you know. It's it's what every young girl dreams of. <laughs> um, and then so we've got Kelsey at one end of the scale. At the other end of the scale, we've actually got my dad's birthday, which is today actually. Um, hey. He's he's kind of a listener. He gets a little bit confused about what the podcast is. Um, <laughs> the first the first time I played it to him, he's like, "Oh, you're on the radio." It's like, well, no, not. It's called a podcast. You kind of, yeah. But he he still thinks I'm on the radio. So I, you know, who am I to? Hey, let's let let's roll with that. We're on the radio. Yeah, we're on the radio, Mister Hayes. Indeed. And then um, I think possibly our youngest listener uh, had her sixth birthday on Friday. And that's my daughter Isla. Um, yeah. She's more of a forced listener because quite often I'll have it on in the car while we're driving. <laughs> Is that a good idea? Uh, now you got to make me. You got to make me double think all the language that I'm. Uh, well, using. you know, please, please, please do. Oh, I'm trying to educate her. Trying to, you know, trying to make a scientist out of it. At the moment, you know, it's all crayons and drawing and stuff. So I'm trying to make a, a scientist out of her. So I'm hoping that something will leach out of the airwaves from our podcast and into yeah. her grey matter. But okay, all right, good stuff. Uh, so yeah, that was that, that, so four shows out this week. So uh, yeah, we're expanding that section. So uh, we'll be doing a bitteries soon, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know more engagements, more wedding announcements. Watch this space. Hey, yeah. Well, if you have a shout out that you want us to give, hit us up on the Twitter at Two Brad for you. Yeah, it's free of charge. We don't charge. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll direct it out to our multitudes of uh, of listeners. So where did you want to where did you want to dive in first, sir? 
Uh, well, we got a bit of a follow-up. Not not a huge follow-up on a topic that we've... I think you brought up in, in previous shows. The uh, self-driving Uber cars. Ah, yeah, yeah. They've gone live, coming, haven't they? Yes, they were coming to the Steel City, Pittsburgh. And they are now on the road. So Uber sent out a tweet sort of press release thing just saying, Hey, your self-driving Uber has arrived. So at the moment, they're still... Providing a driver, a safety driver. Okay. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming that he's really just there to, you know, make you still have that awkward, you know, conversation with a stranger that always accompanies a taxi <laughs> ride or an Uber because you just wouldn't feel safe without that awkwardness. So that's what he's there for. And I imagine to, if the car starts, you know, too much of a mind of its own and starts chasing other <laughs> Volkswagens around the road or something. Uh, he's there to override the override the control. If Hal gets too, you know, yeah, big too for his britches, then you're there. But uh, I haven't heard anything too much other than that. Just that they're on the road, and that I, I guess they have plans to expand. So and no, no fatalities as yet. Not that I've seen. Okay. Not that well, I've seen. Well, we, we, I think we mentioned that we'd have like an accident tracker, so we'll keep the listeners updated. Uh, you know, when those deaths start rolling in, then uh, <laughs> which they inevitably will. Uh, oh, <laughs> Again, we need to sort of be careful what you say on the airwaves. Right, your daughter's listening. Don't worry, what? nobody ever gets hurt. Everything's good. It was more the lawyers I was thinking rather than my daughter. But oh, so, right, right. So actually, a competitor of uh, Uber is uh, Lyft. I think they're international. I know they're in yeah. the US. Yeah, yeah okay. I've definitely heard of Lyft. It's the same business model, right? It's yeah, a, I've not, I've not used them, but I, I'm aware of them. I, I am a bit of an Uber fan, but mm-hmm. um, but the co-founder of uh, Lyft has come out today or yesterday and said that um, their prediction are that uh, city car ownership will be basically obsolete by 2025. So people will be relying mm-hmm. on Lyft, on the Ubers, on carpooling and driverless cars so effectively car ownership in city centers will just disappear um, just be gone did he make, make any mention of public transit in that or just car sharing uh no oddly enough he focused more on the um cars that apps like uh, lyft mm-hmm. would provide um but they were saying that um in the u.s it costs around about nine thousand dollars a year to keep a car on the road once you're taking like depreciation and Mm-hmm. servicing, all that type of stuff. That's um, probably if you do regular servicing. Well, yeah. <laughs> which, I guess that's, come uh, on. Yeah. So for you, it costs about $2.50 to keep a car on the road. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But um, actually saying that um, car ownership in the millennials is actually declined by about 30% uh, over the last, I can't remember how many years, five years, I think you were saying, or a few years. And that's predicted to to stay fairly constant. That you know, especially that generation of the ones sort of embracing the apps, I guess, and the the mm-hmm. technology. So I got a couple of thoughts on that one because, uh, well, first, if car ownership goes down, who's going to own all the Lyft cars and the Uber cars? Because it's unless they move well, well, completely to the self driving model, and, that, and then yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah. So he's predicting that within the next. Uh, three years that they will, the majority of their cars will be driverless. So they'll just have a fleet of the cars. Yeah. Um, and then they've got, I think they said in the next three to four months, they're launching their first one. So they're a little bit behind the curve with Uber. Um, mm. but they're saying to start with, they will be, um, potentially not launched without a reserve driver. 
Safety driver. Um, but they would be limited to 25 miles per hour and it would be weather dependent. So if the weather's really bad, then either the driverless cars won't run or they'll run it at, at a reduced speed again. So, yeah, I guess that can catch on the, in the cities. But, you know, if you've got a long distance to go, being pegged at 25 miles per hour is going to pull you back some, I think. For the, you know... People that aren't in the U.S. or the U.K., 25 miles an hour is, what is that, like 50K, 50 kilometers an hour, something like that? Yeah, probably not even that, 40, something like that. Yeah, it's pretty slow. Yeah. So you meant, like, so then there's a restriction, too, on, on they can't go on the on the highways or anything like that. Right. So, yeah freeways or anything well yeah i mean you gotta start somewhere and i guess it's it's better to start there um yeah that's interesting again it just makes me think about how like what a what a rapid change for a business to come out and be like oh yeah we're putting the power to the people and letting you be the driver and letting you make a little extra cash like that was the big push for it right yeah and now it's like uh yeah it turns out you're all yeah. terrible drivers and we're just going to get robots to do it so and well, it's cheaper i'm sure yeah no yeah why, why would they be doing it otherwise yeah exactly the um actually something that just sort of jogged my memory so a friend of a friend he works for um british telecom over here so our sort of phone network but obviously the phone providers are also moving into you know parts of the internet provider so he when he first joined, one of his first meetings he had was with Google um, to talk about putting the infrastructure in place for their driverless car systems that they're mm. going to be working on. Um, so, you know, having the partnership between like Google Maps and BT providing like the the internet and the, the connectivity for that. Um, but he was saying the, the biggest sort of enlightening moment for him was when they basically said in Google, effectively cities will get bulldozed and rebuilt because the whole design of cities will now change because suddenly you don't need all those car parks Mm -hmm. in the middle of a city. You can move all those car parks out into the middle of nowhere because when you want your car, you press the button on your watch or on your app. And it just comes in. and And it comes in from wherever. So no longer do you need to have that car... Obviously, there'll be some car parking close by, but you don't need that. You know, you have your car lots elsewhere. Yeah, or, I mean, you could... I I mean... I could imagine in a big city that, you know, like these, uh, what do they call them? Cities that never sleep. There's going to be, you know, just a constant overturn. So it's like some of those vehicles, I mean, I guess, yes, you're going to have to take them off to service and fuel them and stuff like that. But I mean, they'll just be constantly rolling. So yeah, you won't need to park it hardly at all. Or Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. And I, well, that's obviously a good thing because I mean, I know my hometown of Calgary is parking is just atrocious i mean there's we have it's canada so we have big spread out cities that are kind of bullshit to begin with because it's just you know a million people but i think we so i think we have a million people in calgary but our city is like twice the size of new york when you like look at just the square kilometers that it puts up oh yeah it's ridiculous it's huge and there's so many huge parking lots just like in the middle of downtown and you know it's it's urban planning and and sort of urban design always gets talked about back home because it's like we have a downtown that nobody visits after working hours and it's i don't know part of it i think is because there's nothing you know there's a lot of it is taking up is taken up with parking spaces and to the price like the cost to park 
downtown is astronomical. I think we also rate like top five in North America every year for parking rates. Like we're up there with New York and, well, and about the only, places. T- only table that you are top of. I didn't want to bring back the Olympic table. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, we had the 1988 Olympics too, Winter Olympics. So that was a big, uh, that was a big boon for us. Yeah. And ever did. since then, it's been downhill. Literally. Re. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I mean, let's, I, let's put that. Let's put that one on ice. That's yeah. Oh God, you're just full of them tonight. I can well, see where this is going to go. But no, it's a good point. You know, especially downtown where real estate or land values are really valuable. You know, mm-hmm. repossessing those car parks to put apartment blocks or whatever is going to be mega bucks for somebody. But then also the flip side of, you know, historic towns, like you know, especially in like old European cities, mm-hmm. London, you know, Cambridge, where I'm from. I drove into Cambridge last night and it's horrendous to drive along. All the streets are not designed for cars. They're cobbled, they're narrow. Yeah. So if you, you know, going to be taking car track off the road, fantastic. You know, and you know, and freeing up space as well in in already crowded cities. Yeah, I think it. I think it'll be way easier for Europe. I think Europe will embrace the transition, and yeah, like you say, like in a lot of those old European cities where the roads were never really built for cars in the first place, it'll be it'll be easy. North America, it's it's gonna be a different story. You know, the kilometers and kilometers and kilometers of paved highway and freeway and I mean, you go to the States and you see those massive interchanges and stuff like, you know, when those become ghosts, I mean, I guess their infrastructure is already crumbling. So maybe it's, it's good for them to get on this wave now and just let it fall apart and then do something else with it. But I like the idea of, you know, remodeling the cities, you know, for, cause like when has that really happened? I guess when they started putting subways and stuff in, but that was sort of like, that was happening as the cities were growing. This would literally be a, you know, let's go back and redesign this whole thing. You know? Yeah. And you don't see it on a large scale really ever, but something like driverless cars or, or, or something, you know, like that just dramatically reduces the amount of traffic and the need for, for roadways and stuff. Like if you just make it more efficient, you know, and then who knows in a generation, maybe people are more, you know, you have just certain roadways that run through places where all the driverless cars are. You hop on. It's sort of more like a tram that's just not connected. You know, you just show up. A car will be there. Yeah. You hop in and then you're getting dropped off at maybe not exactly at the door that you're, you know, because there's not roads everywhere. So people get used to walking a bit more. There's a bit more walkability in places. I don't know. Maybe we're talking pie in the sky utopia, but mm, that could be interesting. Well, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to watch. Watch, watch intently what happens with the Uber system, and then you know the knock-on effects from there. Because you know, if 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 it's successful, I think it is gonna, mm-hmm. it will change that whole business area anyway. But then you know the potential knock-on effects are huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it, and this is the second point um, is that you know why is car ownership also decreasing? Is and in millennials especially, they they're starting to call it. I've seen a few articles where they call it like the not owning generation. Basically, the generation that can't afford to own anything, you know, because of, you know, and this is a whole nother issue as to why, but like crippling debt from student loans and just, you know, debt in general and the housing prices in some places. And so, but it's a, it's a generation that's become more comfortable for better or for worse, or because they have to, 
with not owning things. So maybe they'll be better able to embrace that, that change. Um, but it's also, you know, an interesting, you know, why, why can't we own cars and is it going to be feasible to, you know, to still afford these things? Well, I guess it will be. I'm kind of losing my train of thought here. <laughs> I, was, I was going somewhere with it, but I can't remember. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it could be fascinating. Yeah. Well, and so, uh, you mentioned chains. So, uh, it's going to be a very tenuous link here, but, um, report came out in the UK today of, um, the need of the fire service to be called out for heavy lifting. So making use of those chains and slings. Um, so the, the fire service in the UK have reported a 33% increase over the last three years of call outs of dealing with obese people. That's um, a whole generation of its own. Yeah. 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 Basically. So they've, they've basically in biologics in 2012, um, they noticed that the number of calls for this were increasing. So they've actually, um, made a dedicated category in their, I presume in their emergency call system. Uh, so the uh, uh, bariatric call out. So you've got your, you know, road traffic accidents, your fire, yeah. um, you know, your mountaintop rescue and your bariatric rescue. Um, so in 2012. So had- this is like, this is like, like, I'm too big to get out of my bed. Yeah. I, I need someone to come and lift me out. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> they had in 2012, 13, they had 709. Of these call-outs, uh, and now they're just under a thousand. Holy! Um, yeah, literally. no wait, but this, this is for all of UK. This is the UK. Yeah, still, um, that seems like a lot. Yeah, it seems like a lot. Yeah, I think so. Um, so the the biggest call-out, because of course the next question, you know, what's the biggest? So the biggest call-out was um, for a guy that was uh, forty stone in weight. So that's about five hundred and sixty pounds, about two hundred and sixty kilos, something like that. Wow. Um, he was stuck in the upstairs of a pub. <laughs> How report, did he get up there? Well, well, that's it. The report doesn't say whether he lived in the pub or, you know, did he just go upstairs to use the bathroom and he couldn't get down again? Yeah. It just said he was, you know, rescued from upstairs in a pub. Um, but then the other part of the article goes on to say how they've been um, called out mainly for overweight deceased people. Um, yeah. Because, you know... Obviously, there is no movement. You can't get them out. Having to take walls and windows out to to crane them out and yeah, get a get a you know one of those big forklifts up there to the window and then pull them. Out. Or it's like in Amsterdam how they have the pulleys on top uh, yeah, of all yeah, the, buildings, all the buildings, you know, to lift your furniture. In. We're gonna so, have those for. I mean, this is really morbid and kind of callous, but I mean, do what they do with whales. They get beached and just chop them up and <laughs> ship them out in pieces. Well, they blow them up as well, don't they, sometimes? But. Yeah, they've done that a couple of times and realized that it's a terrible idea <laughs> when chunks of whale flesh go flying down from the sky and smashing automobiles and injuring people. Yeah. I mean, it's really cool to see on the internet, but... Yeah, well, it, there, it, yeah basically it was designed for the internet, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah a couple yeah. of redneck firemen were like, oh, there's a much better way of using chainsaws. I just think that I just... I wanted to, I really wanted to be there for the conversation that was being held when they were like, yeah, we could, we got to chop up this whale and cart it away piece by piece because it's really starting to smell and the beach is getting, you know, like people don't want to come to the beach and one guy 
Well, you know, I know this guy, and he's got all this dynamite in his shed. We can probably just, you know, take care of this in 20 minutes. <laughs> and how many levels of, of, you know, higher command did that have to go through of, like... Yep. Now I'm gonna run it up and see if Jim thinks it's a good idea. But then, then he's gonna have to talk to the chief and thinks of the chief says he thinks it's a good idea. And everybody along the way was just like, "Brilliant! I love it. Let's well, do it. Let's and, do it." And what was the pitch for the cleanup? Yeah. What yeah. I'm gonna do is rather than have a controlled breakdown of this, you know, carcass, carcass, I'm basically gonna spread it over half a mile radius into potentially hundreds of thousands of pieces. And that'll be so much easier to clean up. Now, I know you're going to rely on some of the wildlife to clean some of that up for you. <laughs> but also, you've just basically, you've just spread a rotting carcass over a wider area. That. But so this is, I don't know, like maybe they, maybe, maybe it was one of these things where they were just like, we just need a little bit. We just kind of want to just like break it up. <laughs> we're not trying to, you know, send it flying, but they get old Pyro Joe, you know, the guy with, the one pyro guy in the in the town that's like, oh yeah, I do all the demolitions for the local area, you know, blowing up gopher holes and everything else, and and he's just like, oh yeah, no no no, let me tell you, this is what you want. I'm gonna say you don't want this small thing. I'm gonna tell you, you want the big one. If I'm gonna get through this carcass, it's gonna have to be a big one. Just trust me on this. This is what it's got to be. And then of course it's way too big, and they're all just like, oh shit, yeah. Do you, th- do you think they put the dynamite down the blowhole? Oh, how else would you get it in there? You can't open the jaws once they're closed. Like, the dead you, weight of trying to open the jaws? I was trying to think if you, like, strap, like, a suicide vest to them or whether you just, just ram, it, <laughs> ram it down the blowhole. I'm I'm picturing, you know, like, yeah, you ram it down the blowhole and then that, that coiled wire comes out to the old plunger box. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm picturing. But this this is just has the hallmarks to go on a bit of a tangent here of all the hilarious, you know, redneck videos that are out there of like guys getting injured or something like this, where it's always like, yeah, this is going to be a great idea. And then the camera starts shaking and you, you can tell that something's gone horribly wrong and all you can hear is, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, 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 shit. You all right, Dave? You all right, Dave? It's brilliant. I absolutely love it. I could get lost for hours watching this shit on YouTube. It's amazing. Yeah, your, your PhD is never getting finished, is it, my friend? Oh, I think man. we're getting a real glimpse now of what you actually do on a day-to-day basis. My day-to-day basis, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a good time. Yeah. It's a good time. Oh, it's called research. Yeah, yeah. It's, re- it's research for the podcast, you know? Oh, well, uh, obviously. I've got all these great ones. You know, one guy tried to shoot, uh, they had this, uh, it's, I can't remember this chemical. It was a hilarious news story, but they had this, you know, chemical where they're like, yeah, normally you shoot it and it sort of like makes little poofs for your target, you know, so you know where you've shot and you know if you hit the target. It's like they use it at, and some guy got a whole shitload of it, was standing way too close and started shooting at it. I mean, this is, we could get into the, you know, why Americans shouldn't have guns, you know, <laughs> and I hope that the Second Amendment people don't come after me, but, you know. Well, that, they, they would be at the back of a very long queue. Yeah, 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 with missing fingers and limbs and <laughs> all the rest of it. <laughs> uh, that's tough. Well, maybe that's something we could just quickly jump into. We didn't, we didn't discuss it in our pre-show meeting, but... Uh, it, it appears as though, um, Donald Trump has 
vaguely hinted at the assassination of Hillary Clinton one more time. Yeah, yeah, you know, keep <laughs> dropping that hint and maybe somebody will get it. It's, uh, you know, his first one was to the Second Amendment people where he, uh, and I don't think I'm going to get the quote exactly right, but 90% right, was Hillary Clinton's trying to take your guns, which is a lie. That's a straight up lie. She's trying to take your guns. She's going to take away the Second Amendment, and she's going to put in Supreme Court justices that are going to take away your guns. Now, maybe you Second Amendment folks, maybe there's something you could do about it. I don't know, but maybe. Okay, so what does that mean? I think we all know what he was uh, insinuating at. Uh, and then he's just done it again by saying uh, that she should, if she wants to take everyone's guns away, which again is a lie, uh, maybe she should disarm her bodyguards. Disarm your bodyguards. Then we'll see what happens. That could be really interesting, couldn't it? Would probably be really dangerous. Maybe she should disarm her bodyguards and see what happens. Interesting fella. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, uncertain. Of course, obviously, Hillary's had the the health health issue, health scare this week, which... Um, she might not need Donald's assassins to, to take her out. Well, might yeah. Be, uh, might just be the flu. Well, yeah, what the, what's the conspiracy theory now? That she's had a body double this week, so actually she's still at home convalescing, but there's a body double basically doing her campaign trail. Yeah. It's like, oh, it, how? How is this stuff even possible? At any other point, in any other political election process, these both of these candidates would have been dead by the wayside a long, long time ago. It's really fascinating... Like it, it, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like we've said so many times that it just shows how ridiculous this whole thing is. But it literally is the two most unlikable candidates in 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 history. Like Hillary Clinton's approval rating and likability in polls and all the stuff that they do, all these polls that they do for every candidate, she is the lowest. She is the most undesirable candidate. If it, if it was anyone else except Donald Trump that she was running against, it would be game over. She would be done. Like, it's 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 fascinating. Yeah. How, speaking of which, do we know how Cthulhu's uh, approval rating is going at the moment? Uh, it doesn't matter because Cthulhu doesn't need your approval in order to uh, <laughs> dominate the world and enslave the human race as it should be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and that's, that's a fair point. You know, that it's not succinct. It doesn't quite fit on a bumper car, bumper sticker for a car, but... Uh, yeah, it, it gets the point across, I guess. Cthulhu 2016, man. <laughs> um, it's it's the only choice that makes sense. <laughs> Why embrace, you know, slight insanity? Go for full-blown madness. Cthulhu 2016. Yeah, I think November's going to be a, an interesting time. What I'm interested to see is, obviously, we... Potentially, we get the result in November from the the US election. I wouldn't surprise you if there's some sort of legal challenge to it in some way, shape, or form based on past. And obviously, they don't get inaugurated then. You know, the president elect until what January sometime. I think it's January. Yeah, yeah. I, I it could be an interesting Christmas season. I yeah, I think it will be. I, I you know, given like the whole Brexit thing here has not gone to bed. I just you know, I, I just see it going even. Even more crazier than it is over there right now. Well, and and this whole, these whole like, you know, you know, it's, 
what am I trying to say here? The stoking of mistrust that goes on too, like this, like Trump outright saying, if I lose, it's rigged. It's because it's rigged. If I lose, it's because it's rigged. And then like Hillary has a body double, you know, that's going on. Like there's a fraction of people that actually believe this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's, it's frightening to think what will happen if, and when he, well, if he loses, I was going to say if and when, but polls are showing that he's... He's gaining ground. He's gaining ground, and he might have a bunch of the swing states. Like, they're a lot closer than it Yeah, especially it was. some of the larger ones, I saw. So, yeah. yeah that could be. Florida's up for grabs, which we all know, for whatever fucking reason, Florida determines the, wow. the, the, the election. You know, it's, it's all down to Mickey Mouse, basically. Whoever Mickey says he wants, that's basically oh. the way it goes, so... It's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's, I don't know. I guess at this point I'm, I, I am sort of fascinated. I think it's going to be, I use that word a lot, but it's, uh, I think it's going to be whoever wins and then it's going to be beginning of November and then we're going to get Black Friday, which is always a great time for YouTube on uh <laughs> in the states when you see mobs of people crushing each other trying <laughs> to get xboxes and and the rest of it it's the american way what what a country well i, I wonder what you were gonna say then oh man no, uh, i was gonna say what a country well i what think a, the, what a the, lovely lovely place i think i do only, mean that i love i love this no i do yeah and i i, I love some of the people there I was going to say the majority of people but I've not met the majority of people I've met a small group of very good friends that I love dearly but um, yeah but I guess there's good and bad in all countries aren't there but anyway I think the only escape for us Flash depending on how badly the election goes is we need to up and leave and colonise another planet I think that's the only way forward we got to jump ship we got to yeah. jump ship well this is a bit of uh, it's been in the news cycle for a while but we haven't we haven't got on it is the uh, this a potential landing spot for all of us that uh, have had enough with this with this planet, and we need to just get the hell out. And it's actually fairly close. So, I mean, NASA and other places, science agencies have been looking for habitable habitable planets for a while now. Um, it kind of every once in a while, one pops up in the news, and you hear about it for a bit. And the recent one that actually seems like one of the better, you know, fits for potentially being a place that we might visit and actually be able to survive on um, was just found, I think, three or four weeks ago um, in the... What's the constellation? It was... So is it in our galaxy or is it... It's in our galaxy. It's actually the next closest star to us. Ah, okay. So you couldn't get any closer. Like you couldn't get any better in terms of a location. So the next closest star to us, I think it's uh, Proxima Centauri is the name of the star. Take your um, word for it. What's that? I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Please do because I okay. have it up right here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the name of the star as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just one of those nights where you're just on fire, isn't it? Well, um, it's a burning cream. I've got some antibiotics and some lotion. The doctor said it will clear up. Might not even scar, so we should be okay. See, I'm wondering if this is why our listenership isn't up. Hey, hey do you know I've had actual? I've had feedback 
<laughs> from a listener saying that actually they really enjoy the uh, the mix of science and lightheartedness of innuendo. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Well, then keep it up. If you're getting the feedback, then we're all good. Yeah, yeah. And that, that only cost me, you know, a couple of bottles of wine and a packet of crisps to get that sort of feedback. So... <laughs> Uh, all right well back to the matter at hand then um yeah the star that this planet um is uh orbiting around is only 4.24 light years away so it is the next closest star so it's literally literally next door yeah 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 um can i I get an uber or a lift there or what's what's the best mode of transport at the moment it would take 20 years to get there if you had a spacecraft or an Uber or a Lyft or whatever, uh, traveling at 20% of the speed of light. So 20 years. Okay. Which, it seems like a long time. But that, 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 it does seem like a long time. I, there's no way around that. that, that it's that's really a long time. not that long. It's really not that long. But what would you do on that journey for 20 years? Uh, solitaire? You know, there's, only, there's only so much Netflix and chill you can do. <laughs> solitaire? Uh, there would be a lot of playing with myself. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> Angry Birds. <laughs> uh, you know, how, in 20 years, how many times could you watch all, you know, what are they now? Six, seven Star Wars movies? A lot. A lot. Um, but, I mean, this isn't like, there is some spacecraft ideas out there that would reduce that time. There's the. Uh, Stephen Hawking and what is the guy's name? He's a Russian investor, millionaire guy. I don't know where he made his money, but they had this idea of the solar sails. So you have a okay. spacecraft that's up there, and then basically it's like a, it's like a sailboat. It's like a ship where you have this big sail of some kind, and it uh, catches the solar wind. Right, and with basically zero drag in space or friction in space once you get that thing going you can basically approach the speed of light i think there's theoretical um constraints on if you could actually go the speed of light or not but you know you could get right up there uh and that would take those 20 years and you know drop it right down so from for for all the things that we've heard about habitable planets and potentially going someplace this is one that actually might make sense. So yeah. how how do they know that it's inhabitable, potentially? Well, so, well, first of all, the reason that they can see these planets is because when a planet is orbiting around a star, it actually tugs on the stars. You know, they, it's got a gravity. <laughs> You're not helping with the innuendo here, my friend. <laughs> it just gives the star a little tug. Every time it goes around, it just gives a little tug around. I think I think that was what the prosecution said in the Michael Jackson case, wasn't it? It's just a little tug. Yeah, tug on the star. Yeah, just a little tug on the star. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yes, it does. The gravity tugs on the star and makes the star wobble. And so that you actually, that's what people back on Earth are detecting, is the wobble of the star. Uh, and then based on the amount of wobble on the star, you can get a size of the planet okay. and you can get a distance. Um, and then the planet then has to be, so you need to look at like what age the star is as well. So this is a red dwarf star. So it's right. not as, it's not as bright as the sun, uh, from what I remember. 
uh, about red dwarfs. I believe they're smaller than the sun and sort of at an, at an older phase and than our sun. Yeah, I could I be remember. totally wrong. So yeah, no, somebody... I, was, I was at the Space Museum a couple of months back, but I, yeah, I can't remember. I apologize. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, but it's definitely not as bright. Um, and it could be smaller, but anyway, uh, so you have that, they take that into account and then the planet has to be, um, in what they call the Goldilocks zone. So basically this zone is, um, warm enough that there would be liquid water, uh, not too cold, not too hot, hence the Goldilocks zone. Um, so they figure if there's, if it's warm enough that there could be liquid water, then they sort of deem that, yeah, you know, it may be habitable. And this planet, too, is more or less the size of Earth. So from that, too, you can get, like, what's the gravity going to be like there? Probably something close to what we would, would feel here, because that would be something, too, if you're going to go there and it's like, you know, the gravity is all different, our bodies aren't going to be able to handle it. Like, our bones yeah. will either break or we'll lose bone density or something, you know. So there's all these kind of factors. So, yeah, I mean... To pump the brakes on this, obviously we don't know if this is, you know, the the world from, what's the, name any science fiction movie, you know, but we don't know. But uh, it's sort of the best candidate, and it's really interesting that it's so close. And the other interesting thing about this is that, for whatever reason, they think that these red dwarf stars, they've just got the right characteristics, that they might actually have a lot of planets. So now that's sort of the next search, the next phase of the search is like look for red dwarfs right. yeah, and then yeah. look for planets. And so, I don't know, it could be really interesting. I mean, nobody, like I said, nobody knows if there's an atmosphere or if there is water or anything, but if it's kind of like Earth, you know, and it's sort of in the right temperature range, hey, why not? Well, and was it, uh, I think two, three weeks back, the experiment, I think it's running in... I want to say New Mexico or somewhere like that in the US where they basically have had an, a simulation of basically a Mars colony. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. Um, yeah. Running and it, you know, it came, the experiment came to an end. I think what was, for me, the interesting part of that was, you know, the science, and, you know, if you've seen the film The Martian, you know, the science of sustaining life with food and stuff, actually the technology for that is is probably there. That's That's doable. Um, but they all, well, the biggest thing is actually just the psychology of it all, the psychology of not going crazy or yeah. becoming severely depressed in those situations was the biggest hurdle they were facing. Well, yeah. Well, especially I think knowing that like, it's a one way, yeah, it's a one way mission, you know, like you're not coming back. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're there for good. Although there's tons of crazy people that want to sign up for that shit. But then it's uh, like, yeah. are they, are those the type of people that you want to be? stuck on a spaceship with for the rest of your life you know and then on this planet i feel like they'd, they'd probably be like you know crossfit people or vegan people that that like that's all they fucking talk about is oh man yeah crossfit oh vegan blah 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 this is what i do you know so you're stuck with this guy all the time <laughs> oh yeah more stuff oh yeah we're on a planet oh this is just great i just ran around for 20 minutes oh I just planted a bunch so, more it's just like dude chill out so basically what you're saying is by the time that the, the spacecraft gets that 20 year journey and it started with 100 people to start this amazing new colony by the time it gets there 80% have probably committed suicide yeah the rest yeah. have been murdered by, by the there's like three people left at the end basically yeah well yeah, that's an attrition rate if none at all yeah 
I think, okay, jokes aside, here's a question for you. If we were to find, like, another planet that we could potentially go to, like, I mean, the we all have this idea of, like, yeah, we're going to show up there and there's going to be, you know, water and there's going to be organisms and stuff like this. So let's say that there is something that somehow has life as we may or may not know it sort of we stretch the boundaries here what would you be hoping to find would you want like would you want to show up i guess basically what i'm saying is would you want to show up on a on a planet like pre-civilization or would you want to show up where it's like you know the europeans coming to north america where it looks like it's a primitive culture and i say primitive i know you're not supposed to say that they were a primitive culture and stuff like but you know what i mean technologically yeah. less advanced uh, and then what are the implications of that or do you want to find like the super civilization that looks at us like you little humans you uh, have well, so much to learn yeah that's an interesting question i think you sure well maybe not but surely for me the assumption would be that people are looking for that more advanced civilization because what are you going to do if you go back and find a prehistoric civilization? Yes, okay, you can you can study them and learn about them, but is there... No, no, no. We'll do what we've always done. What, screw Rape them Rape and pillage, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, ultimately, what do we get from that? Whereas if you find that more advanced civilization, then potentially, you know, are we going to further our own development and learn even more? But Or are we going to get raped and pillaged? Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting one. It's it's kind of like I've heard some you know theorists on this that say that same thing. It's like you you don't want to run into the more advanced civilization because there you know look what happens in our history if we again we only use our history and our planet as a basis for what we think. What happens to any civilization that runs into a more technologically advanced one? It's never good. It's never good in our experience. Maybe. In, you know, intergalactically, you know, that bucks the trend, but uh, who knows? And what could you learn from a, you know, like what would, I think it'd be interesting if we did run into someone or a planet that was less sort of on the, the technology timescales. I think it would be interesting to see how we would treat that and whether at this age would our, you know, is it something that earth would, would we rise to the occasion, I guess? And would it bring us together more? Because that's the other big thing that people always say is that if we were to find life on another planet, that would unify earth. You know, we would all feel as earthlings with this other entity. And maybe that would create peace on earth. Reagan made a speech about it to the UN actually in like the eighties. It's a really kind of an odd speech. Conspiracy theorists love it. Cause they say, see, he knew, he knew he knows, he knows. he's been, he's yeah, he's been hiding it. But it is this idea of like, you know, the Independence Day movies where we all band together against something. But would that same feeling come through if we were to come across a world where we looked at it? And and let's say there was no um, civilization on it like like we would classify as civilization. It was just like a bunch of dinosaurs or some shit, you know, like big animals yeah. and stuff. I think then we'd have less, like, we would just destroy that planet, I'm yeah. sure. Oh, yeah, we would yeah. go in there and be like, oh, bring them back to the zoo. Yeah, bring them and, back. And, you know, let's see what we can harvest out of this What can we breed it with? Oh, yeah, we breed a Tyrannosaurus Rex type creature with a cat. Oh, yeah. I wonder why it's eating all the owners in the night. Yeah. It's, 
it sounds morally terrible, but part of me is, is like, dude, that would be awesome. <laughs> Wouldn't it though? Wouldn't it though? I think it would be better. A better, a better idea would be rather than bring them back to Earth for the zoo, we just turn it into a zoo planet. Like it's like the Jurassic Park of, you know, the solar system or whatever. I guess not the solar system, but the well, galaxy. I think, we I just, think the interesting thing, you know, Star Trek set up the watch post, and you know, don't break the prime directive, but set up a watch post because I'd want to see, you know, the first fish walk from the ocean and the first monkey, you know, climb out the tree and mm-hmm. stand upright. You know, would I get to see that time lapse photography? You know, a bit of evolution in in progress. You'd be like the the nurturing from afar sort of protector of the world. Yeah. Do we have that in us? No, I don't think we do. I, I I don't want to damn all of mankind, but I I think you know we can only look at the history we've got. We've fucked it over fairly much almost every time, really, haven't we? Yeah, but haven't we? Aren't we learning? Aren't we getting somewhat better? Mm, are we? Well, really? I don't know. But, but on, on our potentially, own the world's most advanced country is about to elect either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton <laughs> to be their leader. Uh, this is true. But I guess this is just another test, then, is how the rest of the world reacts to that. But I guess this is what I think is really interesting. About well, the rest of the world reacts by going out and finding new planets. I think that's, yeah. that's <laughs> how it's reacting. So, actually, we should be grateful that they have pushed scientific exploration more than anything else in the world. You know, more than JFK did in the 60s. Yet, never mind about putting a man on the moon. We need to find somewhere else to live to get away from you two freakish bastards. Yeah. I just think it's really interesting, the test, you know, that it would provide to humanity. Yeah. I'm fascinated. Like, I'm, I'm, I just really wonder how we would handle that, you know, especially if it was something that we deemed less than us. Which I guess maybe that's just a shitty mentality to think of already. And that everything that we've learned about colonization and, and stuff in our own planet, we should take to another planet and say, like, well, it's not less than us. It's different than us. And I think it would be, that would be especially true if it was on another planet. It's, you know, something that you couldn't, you know, grasp right away. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I just thought of that question when all this stuff was coming up. I was like, what would I want to find? Do I want to find the super, the ones that are smarter than me? No one likes Ooh. to be the dumbest guy in the room. I was going to say that. That would imply there are smarter people than us out there. Flash. <laughs> Come on, let's, let's be honest. Let's, let's look at the 13 listeners we've got. I think you and I rank fairly near the top of the pile. I've got to be honest. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy for the listeners to challenge us on that. But It's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, you know, bring it on. And, you know, and I think those 13 people are probably a good uh, slice of the galactic pie that I could say, you know, I probably rank pretty high in the galaxy too. So, (laughs) you know, and if aliens are listening to this right now, being beamed out from, you know, into space, or they're listening into our communications, hey, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Brilliant. So when we do get attacked by an alien race, uh, basically it's all down to you, Flash. So well done. Yeah. You, 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 the uh, destroyer of the world. So. <laughs> I don't want to see him bring us the one you call Brad. <laughs> oh, no. Proof. He wanted proof. Bring us the one you call Flash. I'm not getting mixed <laughs> up in your shit. You fight your own battles. I'll be in my bunker with my tins and my Second Amendment guns. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Well, 
with all this chatter of will we rise to the challenge and have we gotten any better, you sent me an article today that uh, somewhat praised, this was from the BBC, they somewhat praised my home country of Canada. I'm kind of regretting sending this to you already as, as being this sort of beacon uh, of, you know, progress and, you know, liberal liberal ideas, I guess. I mean, not to say that liberal ideas are always the thing that makes you the best, and this is one of the issues I might have with some of the, the press from the article. But basically it was saying, you know, if we look at what's going on in, well, the UK, with some of the sentiments that Brexit has revealed and brought to the surface... Similar things are happening in other European countries with anti-immigration and far-right parties coming to the forefront. And what we just mentioned with the U.S., um, Trump, and some of his rhetoric coming up. Uh, and then you have Canada. Good old Canada. With our liberal, progressive, cool-looking, young, hip leader uh, seeming to be out of Western democracies, we're sort of the one that's, in the international view anyway, not having a lot of these same sentiments, not having a lot of these same problems. A lot of the news coming out of Canada is sort of the opposite. Now, some might argue that it's not necessarily a good thing, and I've heard a lot of criticism of Justin Trudeau from the Canadian media and friends back home, so that's something I think that people in the international stage don't hear and maybe don't understand all of the things that are going on in Canada, which I don't expect anybody to. Uh, but it's interesting because I've, I've always said that for all of his faults and stuff, I think it's good that we are kind of getting back to that, you know, soft power, what they call it, the soft power. Like we never have any hard power. We don't have a huge military. We're not going to invade anybody. We're not going to, Hey, you've got, you. you got some fairly decent submarines. Uh, we're not getting into this again. <laughs> Although I'm sure we're up for a new contract. I think we're going to need some new ones soon. So. You are. Well, we're, yeah, we're kicking out some more old ones. So I think you guys are top of the list to buy them. So. <laughs> so send them to India this time. We don't want them. <laughs> Australia. I'm sure they need some. Um, no, but it's sort of... I guess going back to what like the the image that Canada's always had on the world stage of being sort of a, a beacon of progressive multiculturalism and open society that's welcoming to to new people and our stage in the in the in the world uh, arena is yeah not one of force but one of with a voice and a clear you know, message on what we think is right and what we think is wrong and what we're going to support and whatnot and a lot of people have criticized the previous Canadian government for losing that way. The Harper government barely showed up to the UN. The foreign minister made some disparaging remarks about the UN, um, and they took a really, really hard line on Israel-Palestine, basically backing Israel without a fault, no matter what, whereas the sort of classic line in Canada has always been, hey guys, can't we all get along? We like you both, and we're not going to upset anybody. So Justin Trudeau is going to make a speech to the to the UN Assembly, General Assembly, that's meeting in New York in the next week or so. So we expect that it's going to go back that way. But I think it's interesting that 
it is like, you know, out of all these Western democracies where you see some of these troubles, you don't hear that coming out of Canada. You don't hear a lot of those things. And I don't know, you sent me the article, so I'd be interested to see what you think about it. Because, I mean, I'm sure Canada doesn't get on the international news a lot. No, not at all. Um, yeah, and I, you know, as soon as I saw the article, I thought of you and I, I sent it over. I think for me, what was, like one of the interesting bits is in the summary of that article, it talks about the, uh, an, an academic in Canada pointed out um, that it's regarded as very patriotic in Canada to support immigration and multiculturalism. Um, and you can't say that about many other countries, which I think is very true. You know, I think going back many years ago, that was America's flag bear, wasn't it? You know, land of the free, home of the bright, you know, we welcome you onto Plymouth Rock and... Mm -hmm. Give us your sick, give us your... Yeah, you know. Your huddled masses, you know. Yeah, and there's there's an episode in in The West Wing, for those that haven't seen it, possibly the greatest TV series of all times, where in there there's basically a load of refugees, I think coming over from Cuba, um, on like what would be best described as rafts or or crates, yeah. Um, and they're like, you know, what you know, we got to turn them around. We, we, you know, there's potential war. You know, are they invading us? Well, no, they're not invading you. They're looking for a better life. And you know, well, why isn't the door open to you anymore? Well, the sign reads, you know, no vacancies anymore. You know, place is full. You know, move on type thing. So, yeah, maybe Canada, you know, you've got a lot of space up there. So maybe you do have it. And, you know, literally the day after Brexit, I logged onto my Instagram account, which has now become very commercial. Every couple of feeds is an advert. The first feed was, have you thought about emigrating to Canada? <laughs> so, is that you know, sponsored by the Canadian government? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, wow. uh, you know, your government are trying to latch on to, you know, the good and the bad in the world. So, you know, they've latched on to the Brexit thing. Um, because I think there, I think there will be a drain with the you know if we look at Brexit and I think historically people in the UK and Ireland um, recently have you know when they've decided to exit the country have headed to Australia or New Zealand mm-hmm. um, and okay the world's a smaller place but I you know I, I've got some friends that are considering potentially Canada mm-hmm. um, because it's far enough away but close enough yeah. Um, yeah, yeah and I think you know from when I was there yes you know from an outsider looking in, the way your your cities are made up and the structures are made up, it's very American mm-hmm. in in design. But I kind of got the impression that I don't know. There was something about the Canadians I, I met, and I, you know, I can't say they were European because they they weren't, but they seemed to have a wider outlook. Maybe it's because you guys are part of the Commonwealth, a wider outlook on on life and on other cultures and things than I've met with some American people. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a generalization. Like, you know, I'm being unfair to hundreds of millions of people there, but that, that was just, you know, wait, 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 hundreds of millions of people, not in Canada. You're not. Well, no, obviously not. In Canada. Well, 30 million. In the US. <laughs> so yeah, so you guys have got plenty of space. So, you know, why not? But it, you know, it is interesting that, you know, this young guy, Justin Trudeau is becoming that, that figure. And I, I, what I really liked in the article was, you know, comparing him to Donald Trump, obviously from the age point of view, but then saying, you know, Trump's trying to shut the door to Muslims, whereas Justin Trudeau, you know, actually went to the airport to greet some of the 25,000 or so refugees that, that you guys have taken in and then went and prayed with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and and this is one of the things that he gets criticized a lot for um, by conservative types and stuff in Canada is that he's, oh, he's just about a photo op. 
it's just a it's just a big photo op for him. He's just like, why is he? Shouldn't he be? He during his vacation, he went to, I think two or three of the different pride parades that were going on um, over the summer. So in different Canadian cities, and this was on his vacation. So Parliament's not in session. Nothing is. You know, he's on vacation and he's choosing to go there and do the photo op and be seen. And, you know, he was the first prime minister to march in some of these parades and stuff like that. And he got criticized for that because, it's, oh, look at this guy. Shouldn't he be doing something more productive? It's it's a photo op. That's all he's doing. It's just press. And same thing they said with the refugees. You know, it's like it's just press. He's just. But you know what? I think that that actually sometimes you just need that. Sometimes that's just a good thing to know that this is where your leader stands. This is where the government stands. And that they're, you know, they're going to be involved. It's like, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't see that from Trump, obviously. It's it's extending an olive branch. It's it's showing people that, hey, there's nothing to be afraid of on this other side. And we're not afraid of this other side. And everyone has a spot in Canada. So I think that's good. He does have some faults, obviously. Um, and the multiculturalism thing, I think, is an interesting point that you bring up um, about Canada because that was where we always differed from the States. We both have a history of immigration, obviously we're calling former colony. So everybody in Canada and the U S you know, you go back enough generations, you're not from there unless you're, you know, first nations, native American. Um, so, but the, the big distinction has always been in Canada. And this was actually Trudeau's dad, Pierre Trudeau, um, who was a similar guy and during his tenure as prime minister in that he was liberal and, you know, pretty controversial in Canada for different policies and stuff. But he sort of brought this idea of multiculturalism, whereas in the States, it's the melting pot. So in the States, the, the idea is always that you come here, you're American, you blend into society, you melt, like it's, you still have freedom of religion and everything like that. But it was, and maybe Americans will, will correct me on this, but this is actually what we were taught in that the Americans are, they have this melting pot, whereas we're, we don't necessarily require that much assimilation. We have a multicultural society. So anyone can be Canadian despite where you come from. And there's not a particular Canadian identity that you then must mold to. I mean, there is that you just end up having when you live in the country that's shaped by weather and all the rest of it. And people do sort of assimilate to this broad culture, but there's more, I guess, diversity uh, on the surface. Maybe, I don't know, because I've yet to really live in, you know, living here in Germany. Uh, it doesn't, it seems like everyone's just very German. <laughs> but well, I, I, so it's different than Canada but the point being is that it's it was it's when they say that it's a source of pride and patriotism to embrace multiculturalism and uh and immigration i think that's true to an extent i mean i still think there's a lot of people that are afraid of it and there's a lot of people that are bringing up points that you know it can go too far like i think there is a point to be made and this yeah. is maybe not totally popular but an example that was brought up of criticism of Justin Trudeau before he was prime minister, there was a, a, a bill in parliament to outlaw what was called barbaric cultural practices. So honor killings, um, female circumcision, 
these these sort of things that we as a society in Canada would say yes we don't that's not allowed here yeah. we don't do that here if if you live here you can't honor can't kill that. and you can't you yeah. know do this kind of stuff and one of the one of the motions that he brought up was that we shouldn't call these practices barbaric that's rude to call them barbaric uh and you need to change the name of the bill to be you know softer language so there's there's a point to be made like it's kind of nitpicking i think because who cares what it's called we all agree that that's something that we don't want in this country and that's outlawed in this country and that we don't have so there you go but this idea that like well everybody's you know we're not even though we think it's wrong we're not gonna we're not gonna call a spade a spade and say that that's totally outrageous you know we're gonna be like uh you just can't do that you know so there's People get worried that there's too much, and this is where I think the fear of immigration comes in, is that there's, you know, there's too much acceptance. It's like if you come here, then yes, there is a certain level of things that we sort of expect of people that live here. This is how we do things. You know, you can't, your freedom of religion and everything is there, but don't expect to come here and change and make it exactly like where you came from you know like we already like it this way and i think that that's some of the sentiment that the brexit voters had it's just like i not necessarily hate these people but like i liked it the way it was and now it's different now change is inevitable you know but this is the sort of you know canada gets this like oh yeah we embrace multiculturalism and all this and we do but uh, there's some people that think that it you know it's not all well, it's cracked up to be and that it maybe it's a dangerous game that you play but Personally, I don't think so. I think after generations of living in a place, people sort of, you know, the children of immigrants become more or less like they were, you know, you become less connected to the place you came from and more like the place you're in now. So the the other, I guess, breaking with the tradition way that it says in that article is that he's basically doubled down. So whereas every other developing nation is effectively going through an austerity period and you know, trying to balance the books, he's basically said, well, no, hold on, credit's cheap, so let's borrow now while it's so cheap and plow money to invest into our infrastructure and into whatever to try and play the long game. Now, that that's an interesting move. You know, in, in five, ten years' time, he's either going to be seen as an absolute genius or he's going to be the guy that bankrupted, bankrupted Canada. Yeah, and that yeah, and that's a big that's a big big topic back home too, so I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about economics. Um, I know that you've infected us with your plastic money. Where you launched our first plastic five pound note this week. Oh, it's good. It's good money. That good. That plastic money that we have in Canada is good. You can't rip it. Try and rip it. You can't rip it. It well, doesn't. Uh, the one problem though is that if you leave it on the dashboard in the sun, it could melt into your dashboard into your car. Yeah, you tend to find that people in the UK won't leave money like that on the dashboard because you tend to find come back and find your window smashed and your money gone. What? Really? Yeah. You guys would do that to each other? Yeah, you're damn right we would. Oh, that just doesn't happen in Canada. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Well, you know, the utopia when we come as a new planet, you know, we'll take Canada with us. Well, that's you know, maybe that's maybe that maybe that is the model that we need to that we need to look for. I think overall, I mean I, I I like it. I think it's a good message. I know that, like I said, people back home 
some people can are, are rather critical of him. There's a, there's a big divide uh, regionally in support of the Liberal government, and it's because of Trudeau's father. Some of his policies were really not popular in certain parts of the country, and, right. and so there's still a, a deep, uh, you know, it's sort of like the Democrat-Republican divide, where it's just like, I'm a Republican, always been so, my daddy was that, this is, we're a Republican town here, and so... Obviously, I'm doing the Southern voice, <laughs> but uh, it's the same. It's the same where I'm from in Calgary, Calgary, Alberta. It's, you know, the the Texas of Canada. It's a conservative province, always been conservative. Deep mistrust for liberals and government spending and things like this, and so you get sort of the some of those same attitudes. So it's interesting to me, and I think it's a good thing that on the world stage, this is how Canada is viewed. Because I think it is a breath of, breath of fresh air, and maybe it is something that, like, I don't know if it will directly, people will take a look at it, world leaders, and be like, oh, hey, maybe, you know, let's tap the brakes here or something. But maybe it does give, you know, people in other countries, you know, a, th- a second thought to be like, hey, well, here's a country that's doing it that's not so bad. And they seem to be, you know, welcoming immigration and stuff, and it's and it's so far working. So, but get, you never get hear about. Made. Let's be more Canadian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then you'd you'd have to start uh, tuning into the World Cup of Hockey that's on right now. So, uh, yeah, you kind of lost me there. Touching on, uh, let's all be more Canadian. Uh, Courgette challenge. Ooh. Just going to throw that out there uh, for those listeners that have been following this. I'd, I'd point you all to our Instagram account where I have have posted a picture today of uh, I think some potential game changes uh, in the uh, Courgette Challenge. I've, I've not mentioned the word zucchini challenge because I think that word could be going away. Well, I was going to say you get some you get some pretty fine looking zucchinis you put up there on Instagram, and uh, uh, I might have a bit of zucchini envy. Wow, I think I think you might have me beat. Unfortunately, I have uh, to get you some pronunciation lessons. Work on the you know courgette, courgette. <laughs> get you uh, working. Well, let's on that. be real here. You guys took that word from the French, no? Doesn't matter where we took it from. So we, it's we made courgette. it better. Yeah, we made it better. Yeah, well, I think if I'm if I'm going to be forced to call it uh, anything other than a zucchini, it's going to be courgette. If that's what you want to call it, fine. You know, it's... I personally wouldn't because you sound a little bit stupid. You're going to get it. <laughs> Walking around in the UK going, courgette is not... If you survive, you know, on the, on the mean streets over here calling a courgette courgette, you know, yeah. good luck. Good yeah. luck. But, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I'm not... I, you know, I don't want to gloat just yet. Money. Well, I don't want to gloat just yet. You know, I'm not counting my courgettes before they've all grown. Um, I just, my my plant is not looking good. We had blazing hot, and now we're down to cold and wet. So I got a couple. I got like two more that are that are that are on the plant growing right now. But I don't think they'll they'll get to that size. I think I have I had one this summer that could compete with your biggest, and that was about it. We might be able to compete on the uh, number harvested. So I think we've had four or five, and on your plate you had, what, four? Four, yeah, and I've had two before that as well. Okay. It's going to be, I think I might be coming in a close second. I'm really regretting bringing up this challenge. I'd like to redeem myself with my tomatoes, but maybe that's for next year. 
you say tomatoes, I say tomato. So yeah, that that can be next year's challenge potentially. So yeah, listeners, it, it's heating up basically is what I'm saying. <laughs> so you know, keep keep your eyes, keep your ears peeled, uh, and watch this space because I think I I, I want to say it's going to be a, a a big push from both sides of the finish line, but I think we might have the man down and out and beaten. But we'll see. I might just go to the store and buy some and then be like, oh, hey, look at these just overnight. Magic beans. <laughs> I, I may or may not have looked to see where the nearest farmer's markets are. <laughs> just make sure that it doesn't have that sticker on it when you post it on Instagram. Yeah, you just have to turn it around. That's the, that's the, that's the technique. I'll let you in. Just turn it the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Let's see but, um, so I, I diverted there because what I was going to say is if, if we're going to we're all going to be a little bit more Canadian if we're going to take Canada and we're going to, you know, when we set up our utopian country, the one thing we have to take with us is obviously beer. Mm-hmm. Neither of us are going to survive without that. And, you know, we are we are scientists at heart and there was some scientific papers published today uh, on beer uh, by mm-hmm. the University of Basel of Switzerland. Um, what I want to know is where they get the funding for this. So what they discovered was um, for drinking um, half a litre of beer, so approximately a pint of beer, um, you become more sociable. Wow. No, no shit, yeah. Sherlock. <laughs> Thanks, um, Switzerland. Yeah, well, that, you know, forget Einstein and his contribution to the world of science. Yeah. University of Basel have turned it all on its head. Uh, so you like to become more sociable. Um, beer goggles do exist um, as well. Uh, so they took, they basically took 60 healthy volunteers. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to volunteer for this yeah, one? Yeah. Um, 30 males, 30 females. Um, and got them drunk, saw how many of them hooked up. Well, well, they, so they randomized them to either drinking, um, alcoholic or non-alcoholic beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they were measured on three, three variables. So facial recognition, um, a test of their empathy. Uh, and then uh, sexual arousal. Hmm. Uh, so, with the facial recognition, what they what they found is um, you recognise happy faces more quickly if you've had a pint of beer, and you tend to gravitate towards those happy faces more than if you've not. Um, empathy increased as well. So, from before to after, hmm. um, which. Are, yeah, I'd like I'd like to know with each of these if there's a critical tipping point where it goes the other way, but maybe that's for another study. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's um, the follow up. Yeah, and then uh, sexual arousal. Um, arousal is definitely a tipping point with that one. <laughs> Re, we've done that. <laughs> Just the tip of the iceberg. So um, what they said there is it's not there's not a per se an increase in arousal. But they showed them um, explicitly pornographic pictures, mm-hmm. both before and after, and then to both groups. And what they discovered was um, there was an increase in acceptability um, of those pictures once you'd had the beer. So before, you know, I think they were scoring it from like one to ten or something on a visual analog scale um, of whether it was a pleasant image or a non-pleasant image. And after a pint of beer, um, pornographic images were uh, more pleasant to the eye. Uh, than those in the in the control group. Um, interestingly, that was more in females than in males, which surprised me actually. That increase was seen. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty. I think they're just showing exactly what we already knew. This, well, is, what, this is what dating people have known for 
Well, get them drunk and you stand a better chance. Well, <laughs> just why do you think people meet for drinks? Why, you know, it's just, this is what we've used alcohol for for ages. And well, how many times have you, you know, has has someone had something to drink and then been more open to something, uh, or and recognized or been more attracted to a face, and then when sober, woken up and gone, oh shit, what did I do? <laughs> Way to go, I, Switzerland! You're confirming everybody's everybody's I, already done this study. Obviously, I've never had that experience. Flash. So yeah, I'll, me neither. I'll, I'll get you to tell me about that sometime. Um, but the, well, and yeah, and actually touching on that. So the desire to be in a more talk, in a talkative environment or a um, more social environment also increased as well. Obviously, in the the group that had the beer, but also increased more in women. So um, in the review that I read, they were basically saying, "Well, is that is that a pure gender effect?" Or actually, is that purely down to the fact that um, women metabolize alcohol slower, so therefore they've got higher alcohol concentrations, um, and therefore you know it's down to an, its level of alcohol in the bloodstream as opposed to just a pure gender effect. So, no doubt they're going to use that to secure some more funding um, and go off and you know repeat the trial, maybe. But this is this is actually interesting. I think in one. You know, to me, and I think to anyone listening, they're just like, oh, great, obvious, obvious findings. <laughs> and the gender differences are interesting, though, I think, because there is so much internet. Like, I don't know how much people actually put stock into this, but we've kind of touched on it before, the social justice warrior people. Um, and, um, and, 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 and I mean, this isn't, a, it's obviously a serious, a serious topic, but, you know, the the consent issues that get brought up now and seem to be a huge, you know, in, in some cases I think overblown and um, probably de- deleterious to the actual, you know, conversation like, that, that happens on, you know, college campuses and things like this is, you know, but alcohol plays a role obviously in how people engage in, in hooking up or sexual activity or however you want to call it. And, you know, Clearly, we're seeing gender differences in 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 how alcohol affects the sexes and stuff like this. So there's already now a, a large discussion on uh, how this influences, you know, what what is and what isn't consensual uh, hooking up or in set, you know. So how how would something like this, you know, in, maybe inform some of those decisions or? laws or whatever i mean i still think that it's we, we basically we all know when you when you shouldn't pursue if someone's passed no out. means no well no but you say no. that but there's been some high profile cases recently hasn't there of people being passed out and using that as a a defense almost and i we won't delve into this now because i've not really researched into it a lot but maybe for next time we can touch on it because there's i think in germany they've had some clarifications on the rape laws in some other countries where mm-hmm. basically unless you're not giving consent is very loose in certain areas in certain countries so mm-hmm. I can't remember but in, I'm not going to do a disservice by saying it's in Germany but in one of the countries if you know if, if there's not active physical marks on the accused rapist then it's considered well that then it wasn't it was obviously consensual because you've mm-hmm. not bitten or scratched or yeah there's no signs of a struggle basically yeah and I mean, and I think in in most countries, that's the classic definition: is 
forceful, physical forceful, you know, forcing of intercourse or whatever. Um, but I mean, obviously the people passed out is everybody knows that that's wrong and that that's rape. I mean, we know that now, maybe they didn't in the seventies, I've heard, (laughs) but, uh, yeah. So, so again, that's why I think sometimes the discussion gets really, it gets really muddy because, you know, you can have a situation where there's two people, there's, you know, text messages going back and forth between that a court can see that says, come over to my place. Do you have condoms? You know, let's do it. You know, this kind of thing. So there's obviously an implied thing, but then the minute that alcohol is involved, it's considered, um, rape. She wasn't, she wasn't in the right mind to know what she was doing. So now this young man has his life ruined and is accused and convicted and kicked out of school and has, is on the, the lists and all that. So there's these alcohol studies actually are kind of interesting to see how, you know, and, and the one that you just said, you could probably take it both ways. You could probably say, oh, well, see, it does make women more, um, into social things and maybe a bit more loose than they, than they might normally be. But let's be real here that it still comes down to you're responsible for your actions. Yeah. And, you know, both sides are responsible for your actions. So yes, if you drink a bit, you can be a responsible adult and choose when and when you don't want to engage in hooking up. And on the other side, you had alcohol, but that doesn't give you a free pass to, you know, have sex with a passed out person. So there's there's, there's some uh, relationship advice from a man named Flash there. <laughs> um, so actually, I'm going to get us back to where we were because, you know, we're going to wrap up the show. I don't want to end on the topic of rape. You know, <laughs> let's, let's leave the viewers on a high and listeners on a high. Yeah. So when I, when I read the article on um, beer, sociability and beer goggles, it then made me think back to a, another scientific article that I read a couple of years back. So, um, it, the, before the top of the show, um, for the listeners, Flash and I sort of get together and loosely sort of maybe plan what's going to be in the show. And I mentioned that I was reading through a scientific paper. So the paper I was actually reading was, uh, from 2011. It was in the, uh, Journal of Food Science. Um, and it was a paper on, uh, the concept of does Guinness travel well? Hmm. Uh, so, uh, four researchers from four different countries, um, traveled the world for 12 months, uh, collecting data, um, on the enjoyment of Guinness and other related factors, um, basically to see is the old adage that Guinness tastes better in Ireland as anywhere else in the world. Is that really true or not? Um, they did a total of, uh, 103 tastings. Now I'll take you back to, they traveled the world for 12 months. There's four of them. But there was only 103 tastings. These these guys are in no way committed scientists. And I think you and I could do a much better job, Flash. Yeah, so give did us a, the money. Yeah. 103 tastings, 42 of which were in Ireland, 61 elsewhere. Um, and it was discovered that when you take into effects of the physical appearance of the pub, um, when you adjusted for the researchers and the differences uh, and the ambience in the, in the pub, um, that actually Guinness does not travel well and the enjoyment of Guinness um, is actually higher when in Ireland than elsewhere in the world. Because it's only the Irish that drink it. Well, that's not true. I, I've got some here. Yeah, you're basically I'm, I'm, Irish, aren't you? Um, that That's debatable. <laughs> but no, but Guinness, I would say, is the one one beer that, when you know, when I go to the US, I see it almost in every pub, almost every yeah. pub has. It's popular, yeah. It's popular yeah. everywhere. 
yeah, I don't know. That seems like a weird study. Because, like, the people in Ireland, was it Irish people that were drinking it? And then when they take it out, it's not Irish people drinking it? And it's like, I um, think that obviously the Irish people are going to rate it higher. It's their sort of thing. Yeah, so they, um, the four researchers, it says they came from countries that had a long tradition of beer brewing, because that obviously then makes them experts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one was from Ireland, um, one from, um, probably the biggest market for Guinness, which is England, um, one from the Netherlands, mm-hmm. um, and then, uh, one from Germany. Ah, so they themselves just went around and drank Guinness in different places. Ah, yeah. I get it. And they were rating whether it tasted better. Yeah. Uh. Um, and I'll, I'll post the link to the paper because it, it's, um, it must be written a little bit tongue in cheek. Like the, um, results are, however, subject to further verification because of the limitations on study design. Yeah. Effectively, we're going to go off and get pissed all over again. Yeah. yeah and yeah. there'll be a follow up, follow up yeah. paper. Good on them. Hey, good on them. If they had a way, if they had the means to do it, you know, I feel like this is like one of these, you know, probably a, a group of science nerds that got together and were at the pub, which is where science nerds actually tend to tend to be, is at the pub. Most labs I know uh, like to go to the pub and talk about different things and different science um, studies that could be done. So maybe these guys they just you know had the wherewithal to go out and actually do it. Yeah, I was just looking through some of the some of the measurements they took were um, who were who were people drinking with. Um, they previously had alcoholic drinks. Now, I think that's skewing the data oh, yeah. just there. Um, was it an Irish pub? Because hmm. um, you got to sm- pour it right, too. Yeah, well, yeah. And the number of pubs I go to where they don't. And I, yeah, that uh, that irks me somewhat. <laughs> um, how, how it was tapped. So is it in the is it in the original tulip glass shape? Right, right. Um, how long it took to pour, whether they poured it correctly, whether they used a knife to cut the head. Um, yeah, and then the measurement of the actual head depth compared to the, the beer, the, 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 and then the appearance, the mouthfeel and the flavor they did on a visual analog scale. So that, you know, they, they applied some good science behind it, but also some of the things they measured. It's like, oh, and the, the background of the bartender was also measured. So were they male? Were they female? Were they, um, had they been taught anything? How long had they been doing the job? What sort of experience they have? Yeah, I can see that. This is, this is totally though. This is like you go to lab meetings, you meet, you know, science, science folks, and a lot of people have lab meetings in pubs or, you know, the lab will go out to the pub after on a Friday or whatever. And this is the kind of stuff that they talk about. Like this is this kind of stuff that, that happens with scientists is they're like, Oh yeah, well, does it, does Guinness actually taste better? Or, you know, how would you test this or, you know, and, and they, they sit there and they come up with all the minutiae that would be required in order to get to the best answer. This is what science folks are like. And this is why I think that, you know, non-science folks look at them and are like, you guys are like, this is ridiculous. It's, you're sitting here talking about like all these little variables, data and sort of ruining everything by, by getting into the minutiae too much. But you know what? I say, God bless them. God bless these guys. You know, given at least, uh, at least it's showing that us scientists are, uh, we enjoy our beer as much as the next person. So we might get a little, uh, reductionist at times and break it down a bit too much, but God bless them. 
Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so I think on that note, I think that's a good point to, to wrap up the show on a, yeah. on a nice, nice high note, as opposed to you trying to drag us into the sexual abuse. Um, so I'm going to give <laughs> a quick. I dragging anybody, I swear. <laughs> you stick to that defense and you might get off. And she was drunk, Your Honor. She was drunk. Um, so, uh, I'm going to give us our usual recap where we are. So effectively, um, your PhD is never getting done. <laughs> that's, that's where we are. I, th- I, I think, John will be very impressed if it ever gets done. I think he's thought he's never going to see you again. Um, John is Flash's supervisor, for those that don't know. Um, you and I, we could be the saviors of the free world. We could uh, colonize another galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe we call it New Canada. Hey, it's got a nice ring to it, right? Hey, maybe there the Oilers might actually win the game. Who knows? Oh, um, ouch. Season starting. Fingers crossed. Well, we're going to have to... Okay, that's going to have to be a regular slot. I'm, I'm going to want updates on the Oilers. Um, <laughs> maybe we can get 13 more fans from the listener base for them. Yeah, uh, well, and we how, can get our good friend Steve Barg calling in and shit-talking the Oilers. <laughs> um, maybe to get to New Canada, we're going to take a driverless shuttle from Uber or Lyft or yeah, Virgin Galaxy or whoever it's gets on. It's on its way. Um, but then I think, you know, really to wrap up, I think you and I as scientists, we need to, you know, wrap up the show now and go and do some scientific research and drink some beer and uh, see where it gets us. Done and done. And I will uh, be sure to record my findings and uh, report them to you. Please, yeah, please do. And, you know, for the listeners, send in some pictures of uh, of you doing some scientific research. Um, we'll have to think of it. Maybe there could be a... Think of a hashtag. Let's throw that out to the listeners to think of a hashtag. Pub science... Uh, yeah, something, something yeah. like this. Yeah, yeah. Pop science. Send us your ideas. Send us your ideas. Yeah, and uh, yeah, send them into either us at Twitter on uh, at Too Brad for You, or the uh, Instagram account is the same handle as well at Too Brad for You, or individually you can send it into myself, uh, Bradley W Hayes, and I'm at at B Van Paradigm. Yeah, send it along. We'd love yeah. to love to hear it. Love to see the pictures of of all the great science that happens at the pub. For those that don't know, like a, it really all the great science does happen at the pub on the back of the coaster. I think yeah. the pub in Cambridge that you took me to is where DNA was first conceived. There's a plaque yeah. on the wall. It happens. It does. Yeah, yeah. And m- most of the world's problems are put to rights in pubs. The trouble is, most people can't remember it in the morning when they uh, wake yeah. up and sober up. But. A lot of great ideas, not a lot of follow through. <laughs> Maybe we can change that. Well, and it starts right here. The revolution starts right here. <laughs> right on, man. Okay, well, it's good to talk to you, my friend. And mm-hmm. uh, until next time. All right. Yep. Thanks, uh, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you all later. See you on the flip side. Bye. Cheers. Bye.